I don't think about it too much, but as far as military experience, like the GI Bill has been the best thing that could have happened to me in my adult life. For all sorts of reasons, it was amazing to kind of finish my military career in the same place that I started. We recreated as much as we can here, but it's just not the same. It's pretty darn good though, but it's just not the same. That was absolutely one of my favorite parts. That was amazing. I was like, oh my god, like, that's, that's crazy. Like, I had never heard of that before. It looked and smelled disgusting, but your dad ordered it, and he took a bite of one, and then he, I believe he spit it out. I'll never forget it. It was the most amazing 24 hours I ever spent, and I never want to do it again. Welcome to This Military Life our place to hear conversations and stories from real people about the tremendous impact the military has on everyone. I'm Danielle Brown, and I grew up in a military household until I was in college where I studied media creation. It was there when I decided to talk to people, listen to their stories, and create a documentary podcast series about this military life. This episode is about some of the incredible opportunities that come with a life associated to the military. There are abundant possibilities to travel, go to school, and of course have a job. So while I was talking with Miss Marlene from the ROTC unit at the University of Colorado Boulder, I asked her how she got her job. I had a friend who was working at CU, and she said, you know, you should just apply for a job there. So at the time, 30-something years ago, I went in, submitted an application, and I had to take a typing test. And I failed the typing test, oh my which turned out to be a blessing because had I passed that typing test, this job would not have been open. Wow. So I had to wait a month, retake the typing test. During that time, this job became available. I passed the typing test and then I got sent here for an interview. And when they told me about the job, I thought, that just sounds awesome. I really want this job. You had no idea who you were getting into. I didn't know anything about the military. I didn't know the difference between enlisted and officer. I thought, every, there's no more draft. Everybody enlists. I didn't know. So I had no idea anything about the military. Miss Marlene told me about how long she's worked as the program assistant liaison between the University of Colorado Boulder and the Naval ROTC department that's made up of active duty military and the Marine Corps. So then you've been here a long time. Almost 33 years. You must have been here when my dad was here. Yes, so he was here as a student and he sold cut-go knives to make money as a student and I bought a set of cut-go knives and I still use them today. And then he came back, I don't know, 20 something years after he left as my boss. I often like to joke about how my family followed me when I left for college, but in reality, my dad got an amazing opportunity to work at the University of Colorado Boulder in the Naval ROTC department. So really who followed who? I asked him to tell me about the opportunity he had to end his career in the same place it started. So late in high school, I've applied to different colleges and I've been accepted at Georgia Tech and the University of Colorado for aerospace engineering. And my parents were being, you know, we as a family were being reassigned or PCS to Colorado Springs 
My dad was going to work at Peterson Air Force Base. So that's obviously closer to CU and that pretty much, you know, solidified that. So I spent, you know, my time at the University of Colorado in ROTC and was commissioned in 93, the University of Colorado, and then started my trek down the naval aviation path. And after I had hit the 20 year mark, I was in Lemoore, California and was pretty much going to retire out of that job and got a call from a buddy who worked up in Fallon, Nevada, and he said, hey, you can come up here and fly Hornets and F-16s and, you know, do a job up here. So off to Fallon, Nevada, we went again, and then I was going to retire out of Fallon, and then we were going to move back to Colorado, and I was going to try and find a job at that point. But I had always looked at the University of Colorado ROTC as a potential last job, and I knew the guy who was in the job. So I called him up and the timing was off, like the scheduled rotation for his job versus where I was, but then he extended. And so that put it close enough where if I left a little bit early, I could make it and, you know, be accepted into that job. And it's a pretty highly desired position because it's the University of Colorado and lots of people want to be the XO there. And a very long story short is I was accepted as, you know, I got approved to be the XO at the University of Colorado. So moved back to Colorado. Uh, it was amazing for a, a, a numerous um, amount of reasons, uh, one of which, you know, being active duty, I could, my daughter could go to CU as an in-state resident. I was a faculty member now, so I got a little bit of a tuition break that would apply for my daughter. Uh, so it was, and then we have a million family members here in Colorado. So for all sorts of reasons, it was amazing to kind of finish my military career in the same place that I started. My mom and I talked about the incredible friendships we've made all over the world. I met my best friend Hope in Fallon, Nevada, where your brother was born. And both of us went different directions from that point, but then 10 years later, we were stationed in Germany together and how fabulous that was to be back in the same city with her again. Of course, now we're in Colorado together, so perfect. Um, while we were in Germany, we met a lot of really good friends, Brigitte being one of them, and saying goodbye to her and our friends there was so hard it was so similar to the way it was saying goodbye in rhode island um, very heart-wrenching um, we went to our last uh, our last night was at one of our very favorite greek restaurants where i'm greek so we had this really big connection with the family that owned that restaurant and we had our dinner there and the whole the owners and everybody they come out and they're hugging us and they're crying so hard saying goodbye to us and I mean it was hard because we just knew that that one as well that one's going to be a tough one to ever see them again. When Zoe and I were on the phone we talked about when she played soccer and how when her family moved for the military it pretty much ruined her soccer career. Hang on I'm gonna walk out of the wind sorry. Okay. Were you on a soccer team in Nebraska? What's that? Were you yeah, on a soccer team in Nebraska? Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's where I started to play soccer. Was it hard to leave that soccer team then? Um, I don't really feel... Yeah, actually it was because it was really competitive. 
Mm-hmm. And I was doing really well. And then to move to Fallon where there's like AYSO, like mm-hmm. not very good soccer. Yes. <laughs> and I feel like if I had, if we had stayed in Nebraska, like I maybe could have done something with a soccer career, but I think that move to Fallon definitely um, decreased my chances of doing things yeah. soccer related into my adult life. Yeah, that makes sense. That sucks that it affected you that way. <laughs> yeah. But who knows? I mean, right. I can't. My friend Noah told me about something he never would have experienced if his family hadn't moved from Virginia to Illinois. Went to Mascuda High School, which was part of like a much smaller town. Um, Belleville, like that, it was it was definitely like a rural area. The high school I went to was really big on like like agriculture and like farming and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like it was a big like farming community. Oh yeah. Which like I th- I thought was like really strange. That's not to say like I didn't like it. Like I enjoyed like my time there, but it's just different. Yeah. Um, there was like one week during the year. Like I said, like they're huge on farming. So they had, like there's like the Future Farmers of America. Oh yeah, I had that in my high school. They had like an entire week dedicated to that. Ooh, where they had like different cool. like events like. Did you have a bring your tractor to school day? We did. No, <laughs> front door. <laughs> we did. I, I was I was surprised. Like they had like announcements, like about about it. You know, in like the weeks ahead, and there was like one was like bring your bring your tractor to school day. I was like, wait, that it can't be serious, right? Like how many people are gonna be like doing that? But sure, sure enough, like riding the bus, like going to school, and like you know pulling up in the front yard. There's like tractors all over the place. Oh my gosh, that is so like, funny. I was like, oh my god, like, that, that's crazy. Like, I had never heard of that before. It, like, bef- before moving to Illinois, like, that's just, it's just weird. Noah told me about his high school experience and the amazing opportunity he had after his family moved. So did you, fin- did you graduate in Illinois? Okay, so I, I moved to Illinois after my freshman year of high school. So my sophomore year of high school, you know, I, I went to go to high school but like for my junior and senior years actually my, my the high school had this um, dual enrollment program called running start where um, students like if they you know applied for and were eligible for their junior and senior years of high school they could go to take all of their classes at a community college that was near the high school um, so I ended up doing that because I was a new kid but like there was like a military base like near the high school, so like there were quite a few military kids there, so it didn't really feel like I was an outsider. So, like in that way, I wasn't really losing anything from doing it. Perfect. Um, so yeah, like it, it worked out really well. Is there was there a similar program like the Running Start program in Virginia? There was not. Because um, you got to move to this new place and you had access to this new opportunity all because your dad moved you guys there absolutely yeah um if yeah if, if i never moved to illinois i wouldn't be able to get any dual enrollment and like it's because of you know doing this program that i'm able to graduate early that's so awesome yeah yeah like i'm, I'm really glad that like i had that opportunity because like college especially cu can get very expensive oh, yeah um i'm actually going to school here because of the GI Bill. 
which he got from serving in the military. So yeah. it's like, I'm very lucky to have that available to me. Cause Same. I, you probably know as well, like if, if I didn't, if like we didn't have that, we probably wouldn't be able to go to school here. Uh, no, yeah, I don't think I'd be able to go to school. Right. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, forget about that. Yeah, um, no, we're, we're very lucky. I asked my dad to tell me about the GI Bill. After World War One, all the soldiers came home. They hadn't had jobs for two, three, four years, potentially. And all of a sudden you have this workforce looking for jobs and a lot of guys are unemployed. And so the government tried to do these like bonus checks and, you know, help out and it didn't work. There was like this big protest. Anyway, so after World War II, they tried to do a better job of taking care of all the veterans who were coming back home. And so the GI Bill uh, was put into place so that everybody coming back from the war could now either, they got like a stipend per month if they were unemployed, or they got money to go to school and then like a little bit of a stipend, up to $500. Whoa. <laughs> Which back in the day paid for tuition and like your rent probably, you know, at all that, all that uh, at that point. So the GI Bill used to be if you enlisted, and spent at least two years in the military, then you got some amount of payback to like, after you got out, you went to college, you could get it paid. Um, I think it's still 36 months or whatever for the traditional GI Bill. But anyway, the post 9-11 GI Bill expands that and it also applies for officers as well as enlisted. So as long as you've done a certain amount of time in the military, you get this GI Bill benefit. The big thing about the post 9-11 GI Bill is that you can transfer that to your dependents or spouse, which I did the first day it was available to transfer because I knew I had already had enough of my own education and the benefit was going to be much more well spent on my children. So that got transferred. Erin told me about her family's experience with the GI Bill. My brother took one year of the GI Bill, so I got the rest. So I've pretty much, I haven't really had to use much of my savings. My parents, or my dad, split up the GI Bill between me and my brother, so we each get two years. Which is phenomenal. Yes. And that's, I will say, probably, I didn't, don't think about it too much, but as far as military experience, like the GI Bill has been the best thing that could have happened to me in my adult life because I get a stipend for rent, I get a stipend for books, all my tuition's covered. Like I have a lot of friends that definitely, you know, took out loans and they're worried about money. So not having to be worried about money has made all the trauma <laughs> of my life worth it. Now I don't have to live with $80,000 of debt for the rest of my life, especially I'm going to be a, a high school teacher. so. I would never be able to pay back my student loans. So that's, that's more than a blessing. That's literally a lifesaver. Aaron's dad got orders to Italy right before Aaron was supposed to go to college, which affected her decision on where to use her part of the GI Bill. So college, I always intended to go to Mizzou, but once my dad got his orders that he was going to go to Italy for three years, after his San Diego tour, they were kind of like, not forcing me, but 
they're like, you should go to Mizzou because my brother was a sen- going to be a senior at the time. And my grandparents live nearby, lots of aunts and uncles in Kansas City, which is just two hours away from me. So it influenced my college decision entirely because if I had stayed anywhere else, I would have had literally nobody. So I picked Mizzou based on knowing they were going to keep moving and I wanted to at least have somebody. And so my mom stayed my dad had to go before I graduated and she stayed and then we drove my car to Missouri together and moved all my stuff to my grandparents and then her and I actually went to Italy to meet my dad so I spent the summer there before college (laughs) which was really awesome and I Italy is my favorite place my parents have ever lived but I think it's because I didn't live with them full-time that I feel that way (laughs) so I think the visiting and then getting to travel when I visited definitely made it worthwhile so I loved going to to there I'd never been to Europe before and obviously like I had been to Japan as a child and stuff but it didn't really register as a child it's like holy fuck I'm in fucking Italy <laughs> so that was really awesome and cool you know we got to do all the wine tasting and my dad was in charge of that he's the captain of that base so it was kind of like special treatment which had never happened to me before because the Italians are very culturally, they're like, oh, you're high up. Like, we must treat you different and special. <laughs> I was like, yes, please do. <laughs> it's like, I'm his daughter. <laughs> so that was really fun because I like, got to go to fancy things and all these sort of events, which was awesome, and drink legally. Erin <laughs> told me what she remembers about the first time her family had the opportunity to live overseas. We moved there when I was four, so I don't have a whole lot of memories about Japan, but I definitely remember we traveled to China and to Singapore and Guam while we lived there in Japan and Hawaii, but that's less exciting. (laughs) And that just felt normal. Like I thought that's just what people did. I mean, I got to do such cool stuff. I remember I got to skip school one day to do a girl, it was called Girls Day, and they had like a big festival, and we went to a doll museum, and there's pictures we have, like I got to wear a kimono, and my mom taught English to some Japanese ladies, so we would go to their house, and I would play with like the Japanese Barbies, which I didn't know weren't regular Barbies, but they are, they look much different. They're like smaller and more proportional correctly Um, and that was my norm then and then we moved back to America and I remember when we moved back and that was the first time I ever saw Disney Channel and I was seven and a half yeah exactly and I was like what is this I love that but I didn't even know what Disney Channel was before that I asked my dad if he knew of any opportunities to travel in the military there are lots of opportunities to travel in the military for sure of course you know right off the bat you there's moving because you move every three years so there's plenty of travel with that you also travel for work a decent amount most people do at least you know there's conferences or some other training there's also space available travel which is just taking advantage of the military's transportation flights and so forth that uh you can, for very, very cheap, you can fly somewhere uh, if the space is available. And then, of course, for the Navy, port visits. I mean, good grief. I've, I've hit so many ports, I can't even keep track of them all. But I've hit lots and lots of ports during my time in the Navy. What's a port visit? Well, the 
generally speaking, for the sanity of the crew and for international engagement, um, you know, a ship will pull into a port and kind of show the American flag and then, you know, all the sailors, you know, go into the port. It provides money for that port's economy, you know, whatever city that might be. Hopefully the sailors don't go get into too much trouble because uh, everyone kind of unleashes a little bit when you've been out at sea for 30 days or whatever it is. But the uh, yeah, support visits serve a whole bunch of different purposes, but also it's it does it's easier for the ship. I mean, you know, you have to... Um, a lot of maintenance that uh, is done for the ship, you know, has to be done when it's stopped. You know, things can't be turning or whatever. There's anyway, so there's there's a lot of that kind of stuff that has to happen, and so they take advantage of the port visit to do that. My friend John told me about the different opportunities available to his family because of the military. We'd gotten a chance right before we left England. We took a cruise with my parents, and it was a it was a Greek Isles cruise. And when we got back, we were able to take a train from Venice, where the cruise left from, down into Rome. We were just in there for a day, and trains are just, you know, oh, it's just a train to Rome. It's a couple hundred bucks. It's nothing. I mean, it's just, sometimes you feel like you lack perspective with all the different opportunities that you, um, that you get. So I feel very lucky and fortunate for that because, yeah, it's difficult. Yes, she's deployed. Yes, we have to deal with the ups and downs of the, the moves and things like that. But, you know, all in all, you're, you're in a pretty darn good situation. Um, you know yeah it's really easy to get kind of wrapped up in like day-to-day life and forget to go out and travel if that makes sense you know because you got so many other it's not like you just have endless funds of course um the last time we skied was in garmish over in the military lodge over there did you guys go there when you were there i loved garmish yeah that's an amazing place it's difficult to explain to people here in the states why like Okay, you drove six hours to Scotland. Why wouldn't you and Jess and I were having this discussion ourselves after that trip? It's like, why would I drive six hours to Scotland, but I won't drive six hours to Atlanta, for example? And it's like, it's not like Atlanta's not interesting, but it's just not the same as going to Scotland. It's just not the same as hopping on a train and going to Austria, because they have thousands of years of history and architecture and things like that that are very different. Atlanta is just as, for the most part, is just another city in the U.S. And, you know... Yeah, but if you're not out there and you haven't seen it and you haven't experienced it for yourself, it's a little difficult to describe. We're lucky in that respect. I asked John if he remembered going to any of the port visits with my mom. Yeah, we went to Dubai together. That was, uh, that was, I'm trying to remember if that was kind of when your mother and I started to strike up a friendship. Like I, you know, I knew of her, but I hadn't started going to like any of the exercise classes or anything that she did on base, though I heard they were legendary and I was flabby and I knew I needed it. <laughs> um, but I mean, Jess Hack raved about her. And like I said, you know, her, her opinion is gold to me. Um, but I think I only knew her, I think I only knew her a little bit then. I don't know, she's gonna read me because I can't remember whether or not. Um, because that was when I introduced her to hookah. Was there, <laughs> which is about the only thing besides like you know five cigars over the course of thirty plus years that I've ever smoked, and that was thanks to the Middle East. Um, people had a tendency to split up on that deployment a little bit more. Everybody has their own, you know, everybody has their own plans, and 
and everybody has their own uh, financial situation. So some people are able to go do some other really cool things. Um, but it's, you know, it's really great being able to go with other spouses and everybody gets to be really excited together. Um, yeah. They tried to get me to get my nails done and I said no. <laughs> my mom told me about her favorite port visits. Oh, I had so many. I tried to go each time. I've gone to Dubai a couple of times, Hawaii, Singapore, Australia. Australia was crazy because you crossed the international date line. So on the way out there, we added a day. But on the way back, it was crazy because we left at 9 a.m. on a Sunday and then landed at 11 a.m. on that same day. So it's like no time went by. It was just weird. Um, probably one of my very favorites, though, is Greece. That was fabulous. I'm Greek, so that was even more of a connection. Um, I got to meet your dad in Corfu and... Um, I just remember lying on the beach with him on one of the days and he was so cute because they have these really soft little pebbles instead of sand for the beach and he just went around and collected them and kept putting them on the towel next to me and saying these are going to be so cute for our daughter and you were like 18 months old at home and he just was collecting all these little rocks for his sweet daughter to have from Greece. I asked Zoe to tell me about an opportunity the military family experiences that made a big impact on her. Um, I feel like definitely moving overseas was the most impactful because we were able to um, live like immersed in another culture that spoke a different language. So it was like we were almost like we were immigrants, like we <laughs> lived without being able to speak the native language. So we kind of got to see how like a lot of immigrants in our country are, it's like when it, it made me realize how, especially like Mexican immigrants in the United States, when they can't speak English, um, there's uh, a lot of times where there's a certain outlook where people are like, it, it, you know, speak English. That's, you're in the country, you need to speak English. Well, being in Germany, I didn't speak German, and mm -hmm. it's not like that easy just to start speaking German. So I feel like it, it opened my eyes to um, the hardships that people face, especially like refugees, where you don't really have a choice, but you go to those countries and you just do your best. And so I feel like going to Germany, where there was a completely different language, different way of life, um, that was the most impactful move. That's awesome. How old were you when you moved to Germany? Uh, 16. And I think you left right before I got there. I think so. I think I went to college and then you guys moved there. And so I would visit every, like twice a year and then get to see you guys. That's so <laughs> weird. You were visiting Germany like on your... Right. Like that's just where I your parents breaks. were. That's so yeah. funny. I know, it's so like kind of bougie, but it was just like... It just seems like the norm. Out. It was kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to Germany for the summer. Yeah, Whatever. no big deal. <laughs> I get that a lot from like my other military friends. Like if I'm talking to a person who understands my situation, they're like, oh yeah, we would go to Italy or we would go to Germany, no big deal. Yeah. But then when I talk right? to other people who don't understand my experience, they're like, oh wow, this rich white girl... <laughs> Yes, yes, exactly. Always. It's so funny. But no. 
My friend John told me about a special memory that I feel like his kids will likely never forget. I did this thing where on, on Friday, if they had a good week at school, which for my kids was most of the time, because I've got amazing kids, and there was a place on the route home from the bus stop that we walked at, and it was called the Nissa, N-I-S-A. They pronounced it Nisa, but we didn't care, and Nissa sounded better. <clears throat> so we called it Nissa Friday. And I'd have a pound for each kid, which is, you know, a dollar coin, basically. And they each got a pound, and they got to go in there, and they got to buy whatever they want, and I couldn't tell them no. So so every Friday, they got to do that. So they got to try all the different candies and things like that. And, uh, you know, they miss all of that. My mom told me about a special memory she has from while our family was stationed overseas. On Saturday mornings, your brother could hear this bell ringing, and it was like what we would hear an ice cream truck and how excited kids get to run out to get ice cream from the ice cream truck. But in Germany on Saturday mornings, the bell would start ringing and your brother would run in to my bedroom and ask for some euros so he could run down to the produce truck. And it was a farmer that has brought all his produce on a trailer and he's just driving through the neighborhoods every Saturday morning. And I would tell your brother, okay, get me, you know, a head of lettuce and some peaches. And he, he would always, of course, get apples because that was his favorite. And um, I just thought it was so cool that he got excited about it every Saturday morning for the produce. And with the, the food that would come into our neighborhoods, a meat and cheese truck would come on Friday nights. And your brother knew that if he practiced his German and he spoke and ordered some of the either meat or cheeses that we wanted, they would slice up some Gelbwurst for him to eat right away. And um, he got so excited about that. So it was pretty cool that he was just so excited about all the fresh food that we would get. My brother and I talked about some of the many opportunities that the military offers. I got to travel a lot of the world at a young and kind of normal age that I can still remember everything. And seeing all the cultures in all the different places like Rome, Italy, Greece, Sardinia, Israel, and plenty of other places, (laughs) um, I think it's really helped me kind of understand that it's not just America. It's not just the 400 million people living in this one little country. There's so many different taboo cultures and things that don't even cross our minds anymore. I asked my brother if he remembered any of the food we had overseas that left an impact on him. The, I will say the pumfrits, the fries there, pumfrits. with their um, whatever Mayonnaise. that red sauce and oh. the mayonnaise, oh, not the red sauce, but like the, it was like pepper salt or something. Mm. And then the mayonnaise, I, I haven't had anything better than that, but also schnitzel. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I like, uh, I miss the factory as well. Making our own Ritter Sport chocolates. Making my own Ritter Sport chocolate. Putting marshmallows and M&Ms and sprinkles and random (laughs) crap in the Ritter Sport (laughs) chocolate. And then saying, this is my creation. That was the best. My friend Erin recalled what her diet was like when her family was stationed overseas. But, I mean, how cool is that I got to live in Japan. I wasn't really picky either, though. I only ate rice. So I had no good Japanese food because I was, like, plain rice only. And if you put the fish flakes on it, I won't eat it. (laughs) And so I was definitely picky in the food regard. 
My friend Zoe and I talked about living overseas, and we reminisced about a warm dessert we both loved and haven't seen since. There's something that we went to um, the Czech Republic for Christmas one year, and have you been there? Yes. So, did you go in winter time? Yeah, it was right around winter time. I went with my grandparents. Okay. So, did you have the cinnamon barrels? Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Those are awesome. Yeah. So those. Yeah. I don't feel like I've been. I've ever seen those anywhere else. I think I. I think I might have seen them in France a couple of years ago. Yeah. But um, for some reason, I didn't get them. But I've never seen those again. And my sisters and I always talk about how good those were. Can you describe it a little bit? They're like, they're like, it's like a, it's like a barrel, but it's hollow and it's just dough covered in cinnamon and sugar. That's so good. But it's kind of like a crunchy outside, crunchy dough, but the inside, but it's, but it's hollow. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's hard to describe it. It is hard. Those are really good. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. And they're. And they're so warm, so then it's so cold out, and you're eating them, and they're so warm. Yes. Yeah, they're they're really good. My friend Noah told me about something he ate overseas that he hasn't seen anywhere in the U.S. I do remember, um, like when when I when I lived in England, like from like pictures, right? Oh, and also like now, like I I really enjoyed gelato. Oh, yeah. Um, like when, especially like going around in like Italy, like I ate a lot of gelato. My favorite flavor was actually pistachio. You know, I, I, I do love chocolate. Oh yeah. But like, and like there were a bunch of like, you know, the flavors like, you know, cotton candy, like bubble gum and stuff. But as like a three, four year old kid, I was like, I like pistachio <laughs> for, for whatever reason. I was like, I don't, I don't know why, but like, I just, I, I tried it once and I really enjoyed it. I, like there were like a number of pictures with, you know, me and like my younger brother like visiting a place. And I just have like a <laughs> like a thing of gel- like statue gelato like in my hands. I was like, man, I, I really enjoyed that stuff. My mom told me about some of the opportunities she had to try weird foods during a port visit to Singapore. But Singapore had some very strange food, and one of the food trucks were selling these fish balls. And I just think they were balls made with fish parts. Yeah. Um, it was. It looked and smelled disgusting, but your dad ordered it, and he took a bite of one, and then he, I believe, he spit it out, and then he said, "You don't even need to try this," and he threw the whole thing away, which your dad very rarely does. But I trust him completely. If he says I don't want to taste it, he's probably right. I don't want to, but. On the other end of things, we were walking around and saw an ice cream vending place, and I got to try green tea ice cream, and it was fabulous, and that was really tasty. So that was fun. Different, different things there. I could talk about that Singapore sling drink, but mm, that was like not yummy. But it's something you're supposed to do in Singapore. You're supposed to get a Singapore sling. It's a very famous drink. I mean, it. Yeah, so we ordered it, but it was like a huge dessert. It was way too sweet. My friend John told me about the foods he misses that he and his family had the opportunities to try while they were living overseas. Oh, I wrote down, I wrote down my favorite foods from like three different places. Yeah, I was just, I was just sitting here jotting down stuff. They had these donuts in Hawaii. They're, they're fried donuts that you can get like with or without cream. They're called malasadas. 
and they don't have holes in them. They're just like these little puffy balls of, of you know, it's, it's as if you took it and put it straight onto your hips. That's how bad they are for you. And they're called malasadas and they're amazing and you, you can't get them outside of Hawaii. Hawaii, I'd written down four things. You get really good because of all the Asian influence over there, being an, an island thing. Um, Poke, you can start to find here in the States a little bit more at sushi, at sushi places, but over there was the first place I was introduced to it. Um, and pho, you could get really good pho over there. And lokomoko I still make here. Lokomoko is like one of the most unhealthiest things that you can imagine. It's a bed of rice, and then you put down a hamburger patty, and then you cover it with a fried egg, and then you smother it in gravy. <laughs> it's magical. And it's so easy to do on your own. You just you grab yourself some Uncle Ben's, <laughs> fry up a patty. And then when the patty's done and resting, you fry up an egg real quick. <laughs> Get some Heinz gravy, dump it over the top. Welcome, <laughs> welcome. It's, um, it's amazing. And you need to have, you know, a triple bypass check when you're done. <laughs> and in the Middle East, oh, so many different, so many good foods. There are flatbreads and, and kebabs and shawarmas and... You could get amazing Indian food there because the Bahrainis all work like government jobs. So all the people that are working on the restaurants and places like that, they're all Indian and Pakistani and Sri Lankan and Filipino. So those are the, the third country nationals as they're, they're known there. They sometimes call them TCNs. And they're running all the food, all the food places. So you really, really authentic food. And I mean, we had some phenomenal Indian food. I love love butter chicken, I love chicken korma, and we recreate it as much as we can here, but it's just not the same. It's pretty darn good though, but it's just not the same. My dad told me about his first deployment where he had poor visits in the Middle East, and he mentions a unique part of his diet there. So the only port visits we had were in Dubai in the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain. So in those ports, especially in Dubai, right where the ship docked, there were booths set up for like different types of food and that sort of thing. And, and of course, you know, what you do in a port visit is you get off the ship as quickly as you can and then head out and, and stay in hotels and, and, and party and go to uh, different places in the town or whatever. And but you, a lot of times you have watch or you, or for some reason you have to come back to the ship while you're in port. And so curfew, usually around, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning or so for officers and something like that. And we'd ride in taxis back and then we'd come back, get to the port. And of course you've been out. And one of these booths had shawarma which I was unsure of what that exactly was, but it's basically, you know, the, the big, uh, like, tower of meat that's spinning with heat lamps around it and that sort of thing, and it's lamb and pork and, and, and beef and different types of meat. And it was amazing to eat at that point in time. And, I, like, I would compare it to kind of being in college when you would go to Taco Bell and there'd be, like, 39-cent bean burritos or something <laughs> and you could eat like 40 of them it seemed like well so that's kind of what the shawarma was like as we were coming back to the ship and then that's you know it's just kind of a staple of what uh, uh, the diet is there in, in the Middle East 
Miss Marlene told me about a 24-hour opportunity she had that some Naval Service members live their whole lives never experiencing. The biggest thing, the most exciting thing, was I went out to the USS Abraham Lincoln when it was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean somewhere. And it was part of a program called Distinguished Visitor. And what that is is the, the Navy specifically, they like to get influential people in the community to go out and see really what goes on on a daily basis because, you know, we don't know. So I got to fly out uh, from North Island, San Diego. I got on the COD, which is the carrier onboard delivery plane. Whoa. Flew out to the USS Abraham Lincoln, had an arrested landing. We landed on the flight deck. Crazy. Um, spent 24 hours on the Lincoln, and then I had a cat shot, a catapult off in the plane. Oh my gosh. Back to San Diego. That's insane. It is. It's crazy because so many people have spent their whole careers in the Navy and never had a cat shot or a trap. Oh. So it's, it's, I want to tell you, it was like, I'll never forget it. It was the most amazing 24 hours I ever spent and I never want to do it again. <laughs> that is so awesome. It was, it was incredible. And I got to see firsthand how hard everybody works out there. Similar to the Distinguished Visitor Program that Marlene experienced, my little brother and I did something called Tiger Cruise. We had the opportunity to live with my dad on the aircraft carrier for a week before it came home. We were pretty young at the time, so I asked my dad to explain what a Tiger Cruise is. So a Tiger Cruise is when family or friends of people that are on board the Navy ship can actually fly out and meet the ship somewhere or, or come out, depending on where the location is. So what happens at the end of deployment is a certain number of people are going to fly off the ship or get off the ship at some point, and they're going to go home to the squadron or the unit and try and set things up. Um, so the Navy's idea was, well, since all these people are leaving, then we have this space available for people to come out and they can actually ride the ship home. So like in the early days for us, um, it's very common on the West Coast. The, the, it, what normally happens is everybody flies out to Hawaii and then all the people from the ship that are going home, they leave from Hawaii and then those people, you know, take their place kind of. Uh, on the East Coast, it used to be the Bahamas. And, of course, people like to fly to the Bahamas, hang out there for a couple of days, and then get on the ship, and then, you know, other, other people would leave. Uh, we closed down our base in the Bahamas, so that stopped happening. So, like, my second deployment, we pulled into Mayport, um, Georgia. Uh, or, no, it was the Kings Bay? Mayport? I, I remember exactly which one it was. But, anyway, we, the Hilo Squadron uh, got off. And then it was just like a two-day trip up to Virginia Beach. So like that second deployment, I didn't have any tigers during that time frame. But what's uh, amazing about it is that it's an opportunity for friends and family of the people on board the ship to get to see everything that happens on the ship while it's uh, underway and, and during that deployment. So that's what a tiger cruise is. 
asked both my parents to tell me about their experiences with tiger cruises. How many tiger cruises have you guys experienced? So I think the zero. first one you, you had tigers zero. on. No, you had zero. <laughs> I have not experienced any tiger cruises. I've experienced six. I'm just kidding. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> she has experienced it from the other end. Because she's always been, you've been related to everybody who's come out. <laughs> yes, so I'm usually helping. Cruise. So when, when we're talking about experience with them, I personally have not been on one. Um, I don't think I would care to be on one. You have been on the Dependence Day cruise a couple times though. Yes, which the, is the day cruises are more my thing. I like the one day out. Cruise. Get the get the feel of the ship. You get to eat on it. You get to watch an air show, and then you come home that night and you sleep in your own bed. I think that's my favorite. Um, that really is a week the best. long tiger cruise. I mean, I think it's pretty phenomenal. Everyone that we know that has been on one has been just amazed with the uh, excitement it was. And on the first deployment, you had. I think both our dads mm -hmm. went with you, um, but you had to fly off, or you you did fly I off. I wanted to fly off. Well, yes, you were coming home to meet Danielle. Um, I yes. That's episode um, one. And then the second deployment, or you've already That's said that you didn't two. have any tigers because that was an East Coast and it yeah. wasn't as much fun. But I think the next four after that, you definitely had tigers, and it was more of the. To mm -hmm. me, it was more of the. All right, who? Do we invite because we had such a long list of people that would want to do this um so it was pretty cool that you know we would pick you know all right well which ones because you can only it's not like you, you can have 10 people on there you know you're limited by a few few right mm -hmm. and you have to be a certain age you can't they can't you know you can't have a four-year-old that comes out to the aircraft carrier and is walking around and falls down the ladder well or something like that so usually the age limit i think is eight or nine-ish, somewhere in that neck of the woods. And that deployment was the first time that both of you were above the age, I guess, to, to make it out to the ship. So that one's my favorite. My dad was obviously referring to me and my brother and the Tiger Cruise that we got to visit on. So I talked to my brother, and as it turns out, we do have a shared memory that we interpreted the same way. I had him tell me about some of the things he remembers from Tiger Cruise. I remember flying with you to Hawaii to meet our dad and spend a little bit of time there. And then we got on a aircraft carrier ship, which was massive. Um, I remember playing cards with all the other tigers that were with us. And we did that a lot. Another thing I remember after sundown, all the red lights would show up on the aircraft carrier so that it wouldn't mess up your adjustment to the nighttime for your eyes. But most importantly, I remember climbing up all the ladders and stairs to get to the, the flight deck for the aircraft carrier and putting on earplugs and ear cover muffs to prepare for what I was about to watch and listen and I watched my dad take off of an aircraft carrier fly around do some loops and absolutely just 
rumble all throughout my body with the noise and the power of a jet and watching him land on an aircraft carrier where you don't slow down you just go straight into the ca aircraft carrier and hope that you catch one of the ropes and it'll stop you really fast that was absolutely one of my favorite parts that was amazing Thank you for listening to this Military Life podcast. In this episode, we talked about some of the amazing opportunities that come with being involved in the military, and we were able to uncover some of the more personal stories that individuals have in regard to their association to the military. We have continued to unfold the influence of the military and have widened our eyes to how it has shaped the lifestyles of those involved. My interviewees were supporting this initiative, and I want to personally thank my mom, my dad, John, Marlene, Noah, Zoe, Aaron, and my brother for lending their time and sharing their stories. Their contribution will help build the military community, increase our understanding of military family dynamics, and uncover the giant influence that the military has on everyone. Thank you for listening to Season 1 of This Military Life Podcast.